Sabbath. It's an interruption. It's awkward. It interrupts our life, invades it. No matter what you're doing or what you think is important, that next big thing on your list, that unfinished item, Sabbath says doesn't matter. It's time to rest. It's a hard stop. It tears through the tyranny of the urgent, the rat race of our life, and it doesn't apologize for it. Because that's what Sabbath exists to do. Sabbath comes into our hurried mess, the noise, the chaos of life, and it says, stop. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, it can wait. That phone call you need to make, it can wait. That chore you didn't finish, some other time. For this moment, breaking through the hurried, rushed, chaotic lives that many of us live, Sabbath invades it. We stop, we rest, we delight, and we worship. Sabbath puts our distracted eyes back onto God. We think upon bigger things. God reminds us who we are. We rest in His arms and we sit at the feet of our rabbi. As we listen to Him, He consistently just reminds us, here's who you are, here's why you were created, here's why you're here. And hear this, please, please, please. I'm begging you, hear this. Your life, your self-worth, and your identity is not rooted in what you do. Your, your identity is grounded in the truth of who God says you are. And you are a child of God. You are not a prisoner of this world. In rest, we are reminded in the interruption and the awkwardness, breaking through the tyranny of the urgent, we're reminded that we are His, not the world's. And our Father delights in His children. Two of my kids came home from college this weekend. I didn't care about work or anything. I delighted in them. <laughs> it's in that time we joyfully worship Him. But here's something you got to know. You just got to know this. Our culture does not, will not support Sabbath. It doesn't believe in it. It rebuffs it. And you think, oh, well, this is a new thing. That's just America. That's our, that's our culture. Uh-uh. It's an ancient thing. In fact, go back 2,000 years to a historian named Tacitus in Rome. And what did he have to say? He said, they, Israel, say that they first choose to rest on the seventh day because that day ended their toils. 
But after a while, they were led by laziness to also give up the seventh year to inactivity. The Romans thought they were lazy. Taking a rest, they're lazy. And I wonder how often the world tries to make us feel that way. The world will always ask more of you. It has an insatiable appetite, and it won't stop. It will always want more. It will always want more. It will want you to do. It will want you to do. And hear me on this. The only one who can stop that vicious cycle, the rat race that many of us are caught in, the only one who can draw that line in the sand and say it stops here is you. It's you. If you're sitting around waiting on me to come fix your life, not going to happen. It's you saying, this stops now. And there's no need to feel guilty about it. Our culture likes to make us feel guilty about it. And by the way, pot, kettle, black, I'm guilty of all these. In fact, let me show you. Another workaholic friend of mine who wrote a book Another pastor, he said, one of the greatest lessons I'm learning and still learning is that rest is not sin. Say that last part with me if you could. Rest is not sin. One more time. Rest is not sin. It's okay to rest. It's okay to disconnect. It's okay to pull away from the world. It's not sin. In fact, what I will tell you is it's absolutely necessary. And before we feel too bad, even ancient Israel struggled with this. There's a book in Scripture called Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was a eunuch who worked for the king of Persia. And he was given permission to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And when he got back to Jerusalem... Uh, It was a mess, and he noticed that they weren't observing a lot of different things. They weren't doing many of the things that they were supposed to be doing as the nation of Israel, one of which was the Sabbath. In fact, we see in Nehemiah chapter 10, it says, When the neighboring peoples would bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. And every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. So right away, Nehemiah goes in there, and he begins to restore things. And one of the first things he restores is the Sabbath rest. you got to have it. It's necessary. story doesn't end there, though. After 12 years of governing the region on behalf of the king, he went back, per his agreement, to serve the king for a little while. But as he was there serving the king, he began to get reports back that Israel was kind of slipping again. There were some things they were allowing to happen. Things were kind of coming back in. And so he goes back. It doesn't tell us how many years, but it says after a while, he went back to go see what was going on in Israel. What do we notice now in chapter 13, verse 15? It says, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. We don't know exactly how long he was gone, but he wasn't gone that long, and it didn't take them very long to go right back into their old ways. To go right back to ignoring the Sabbath, Buying, selling, going, 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 doing, doing, doing. Didn't take long. 
Nehemiah would order that the gates be shut, locked. He would put guards at the gate. Wouldn't allow anybody in the city on that time. But you know what's fascinating about this story? Any idea why Nehemiah had to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild it? It had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And do you know what one of the main reasons was why God destroyed Israel? In particular, why he put them in exile for 70 years. It was because they had ignored the Sabbath. In fact, they had ignored 70 of the seven-year Sabbaths, and that 70 years was paying it back to him. 2 Chronicles 36, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed and fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. That's why Nehemiah, when he went back and he saw them ignoring the Sabbath, what would he say just a few verses later in chapter 13? He would say, didn't your ancestors do the same things so that God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. You're doing it again. You learned nothing. Can you see the frustration of Nehemiah? good. So how about you? How are you doing with the Sabbath? And if right now you're feeling really, really uncomfortable, good, because I spent six days writing this feeling it. I'm just as guilty. And I've heard the arguments. The biggest one of them all, Sabbath doesn't apply to Christians. I get that one. We are free from the law, aren't we, Pastor Jason? Come on. And yeah, I mean, Paul said it. You know, why go back to a yoke of slavery again? It's for freedom you've been set free. Aren't we free from the law, Pastor Jason? And I say, yes, we are free from the Mosaic law. But walk with me just a second. Are the Ten Commandments the Mosaic Law? No. They came from God. The Mosaic Law is how they interpreted those commandments. Are we free from the Ten Commandments? No. And there's many reasons why. First off, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law in Matthew 5, not destroy it. Not to get rid of it. He came to fulfill it. And the lawyer that was trying to trick him, he said, you know what? There's two keys here you have to keep in mind. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And the other is love your neighbor the same. And sure enough, when we go back to the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with how we love God. The next six is how we deal with each other. Love God, love each other, written right into the Ten Commandments. Sabbath was divinely sanctioned in Genesis chapter 2 at the end of the creation story. For those who are counting, that's 67 chapters before Mount Sinai. It was part of the creation narrative. And then the fourth commandment, that's the one that tells us, it's the only one that tells us, by the way, remember. It says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. 
Why do you think God said remember? I'll tell you why. They forgot. They knew about it. But here's something you need to remember written throughout the Bible. When you get wrapped up in slavery to something, it will make you forget your God and it will make you forget who you are. Do you hear me on that? When you find yourself enslaved to something, you will forget God and you will forget you, who you are. Why? Because you are serving another master. And the Israelites had forgotten in their slavery. Let me ask you this. What are you enslaved to that is keeping you from the Sabbath? What has your time and attention? On another occasion, Jesus told him that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He was just saying, you know what, all these various rules that they've got, you've got to lose some of them. Uh, you know, it's not about rules. But at no time in that conversation, it's what he didn't say that we need to pay attention to. At any time, he could have just said, okay, hey, listen, in fact, this whole Sabbath thing, it's not going to matter here after a little while. Uh, you know, I'm going to do a thing, and then after that, Sabbath isn't going to be a thing for you anymore. So don't worry about it, actually. Don't, don't observe the Sabbath. It's really coming to an end. It's, it's, it's not important anymore. Jesus never, ever said that. He simply said, lose the rules. And that Sabbath was made for man. And the last one is this. The early church taught Sabbath. Now, when you came in, somebody in your family or you uh, received a book like this. And go ahead and pull that out because we're going to kind of run through that just a little bit here from till the end of the teaching time. About the second or third page in, you'll see a slide that looks like this. Because many people will ask, does the Sabbath apply to Christians today? And right away, so that you could take it home and you could review it, is this amazing verse in Hebrews, written probably about 30, 40 years after Jesus left, written to the New Testament church. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. So for those with the argument that the Sabbath does not apply in this new age of grace, it most certainly does. And they taught it in the early church. The next argument I, I get more often isn't so much about how to do Sabbath. Well, it kind of is. Uh, folks like to argue about which day Sabbath is supposed to be on. Some are like, oh, it's got to be Sunday, it's Sunday only. And the reality is you probably could make a better argument for Saturday, and some denominations and other churches do. My Jewish Orthodox friends would uh, love to remind you that it's uh, from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. The reality is this, if you're passionate about a certain day that's really important to you, I, I want to support that, I want to say great for you. If you'd like to come argue with me over what the right day is, I'm going to tell you I'm not interested and I don't have time. Because to argue over the finer points of Sabbath to me is to miss the point of Sabbath. And you say, what is the point of Sabbath? Move all the 
remove all the noise distractions, all the rules, all the regulations, and it comes down to this. Six on, one off. Did you catch that? Six on, one off. To my doctor friends out there and those who work, for instance, in emergency services, thank you for what you do. I'm so glad. In particular, thank you for doing that on Sunday, oftentimes. For you, find a day during the week to take a Sabbath. Six on, one off. And let's just step real quickly away from all the spiritualness of it and everything. Let's just have a practical conversation for just a moment. Most of us in this room would agree that God created you. He designed you. We believe that. That makes him the manufacturer. He is the designer, creator, and manufacturer of this thing we call human. Who better to understand how this machinery is to work than the manufacturer himself? And this manufacturer says you're meant to work six days, take one off. It's meant to recalibrate our focus, refill our cups, and renew our minds. But what happens when we decide to use any piece of equipment improperly? Breaks down, right? I've got enough medical people in this room that could explain that. We ever stop long enough to think that might be true in our lives with Sabbath as well? That God designed this equipment for rest and revitalization? It's not about following rules. You'll miss the point again. If it's, all, if it's all about following rules so that your manufacturer doesn't get angry and mad at you, then you've missed the point. Sabbath isn't based on fear. It's based on freedom. It's based on delight. And so imagine with me just a moment. Practically speaking, you buy a really nice piece of equipment for work or home, whatever it may be. It's really expensive, really nice. It's going to help you be more productive and better at what you do. And you're reading the manufacturer's guidelines on this. And the guidelines say, hey, listen, you know what? On this piece of equipment, you need to let it rest each night for a certain period of time. And once a week, you just need to shut the equipment off and not use it. But what happens if we decide, you know what, thanks, but um, I'm going to kind of do things my own way. I'm just going to run my equipment as long as I wish to each day, and it's going to be seven days a week. It's never going to stop. We're always going to keep going. We're always going to keep redlining. What's going to happen to that piece of equipment over time? Yeah, It's going to break down. It's going to wear out. It's not going to operate efficiently and effectively as it was created and designed to do. And as that happens, then imagine with me the silliness. You decide to call up the manufacturer. You're like, I'm mad. I'm angry. Things are breaking down. Things aren't working the way they should. It doesn't feel right. I, I'm, I'm mad. What do you think the manufacturer is going to say to you the minute they find out that you've been going seven days a week with this piece of equipment they told you not to? They'll laugh at you. When you use the equipment outside the guidelines for which it was created, it will break down, it will wear out, it will not operate properly. 
And when that happens, it is not the manufacturer's fault. And I wonder how often we call angry to the manufacturer while we're off breaking his rules. Sabbath is your loving creator, your manufacturer, telling you how he created this piece of equipment to work and how to best use it. And this manufacturer, your creator, said it's meant to go six days and one off. And that one off is a hard stop. It's an awkward interruption. It invades, just like we did in the middle of that song. It is a day that's holy and it's set apart. We stop, we rest, we delight, we worship. And so, here's my big ask of you. And I have an ask today. I'm calling the entire church to this. Because what I found is one of the best ways to learn in life is to do. Anybody ever found that to be true? You just kind of have to go through it one time. And there's been plenty of things in my life I didn't want to do, or I was hesitant, or scared, whatever it may be. And I've had a friend come along with me and go, hey, come on, I'll go with you. We'll do this thing together. And only to find out, hey, I actually kind of like this. Has that ever happened in your life? You know, you do something, a friend has you do it, like, I don't know about this. And then you do it, and you're like, okay, this is kind of cool. I like this. And so here's what I'm asking. One month from now, on September 23rd, I'm asking our entire church to observe a Sabbath. I did not say a Jewish Orthodox Shabbat. That is a whole different other thing. We're going to do our version of Sabbath, and it's going to keep to the spirit of Sabbath. And what is that spirit? Rest. Rest. And so on Saturday, September 23rd, at 5 p.m., I'm asking everything in our lives to stop. In your booklet is an itinerary. It'll be broken up, next page, uh, into six uh, sections. The first one you notice is prepare. And the preparation for Sabbath is so key to our Sabbath time. It can be during the week, but more importantly, it's when you wake up that morning. And it's not a burden, it's not a chore. It's, it's a time, an anticipation. It's like longing for a great friend to come visit. It's the expectation of something amazing that's going to happen. And we spend that time getting our houses ready. We do our chores, we do the laundry, we do the yard work. We wash the clothes, do the homework, whatever it may be. We spend that time in preparation. Around four or so, we all kind of get showers and we put our clothes on, maybe something a little nicer than usual. But at five o'clock on Saturday evening, we stop. We turn off our phones, unplug the TV, no more work. But I didn't finish a chore. It'll still be there when we're done. I didn't make a phone call. Make it later. And much like they did earlier, at 5 o'clock as a family or with friends, whoever it may be, you light a candle. 
Inside the booklet are, are some blessings and some prayers to recite during that time. We'll walk you through the entire experience. So take these books home, read it. At six o'clock, each of the campuses are going to go somewhere to spend some time resting together. It's not going to be here. There's not going to be electricity. There's not going to be microphones or a band or lighting. It might just be a bonfire out in the middle of a field somewhere. And for about 45 minutes, family style, we're just going to spend some time as a church family in worship. But it doesn't end there. Following this is what I think is the most fun part. And here's what I'm asking of you. After this is a meal, food. Now, I want to just caution us real quick before we get to this meal. Because a lot of folks will say, well, I think Sabbath is a solemn event. I, I think it's meant to be in solitude and isolation. It's just meant to be in reflection the entire time. And that's not what Sabbath is. There are disciplines for that, such as solitude. Sabbath is a celebration. It's thankfulness. And so when we say, let's have a meal together, invite your friends over. Invite your neighbors, your family Cook your food ahead of time, though. We don't cook on the Sabbath. But have them over. We'll have things for you to go through, lighting some candles, verses, a blessing as well that'll guide you through it. But spend the rest of the time laughing and joy and fun. At the end of dinner, sit down and talk to each other. There's a thought. Leave the TV off. Play some board games. Just get to know each other. Go home, go to bed. On Sunday morning, you wake up, and here's the really cool thing about Sunday morning, if we do this right. On Sunday morning, you will wake up, and you will embrace a morning that demands absolutely nothing of you. Nothing. It's God's day. We'll have a, a guide in there for you to do a Bible study in the morning, if you would like. In the morning, we'll all come and we'll do a worship service much like this because there's guests and other people who won't be on this journey with us. But we'll have church. But here's what I ask. Afterwards, in the afternoon, find something you enjoy doing. Go for a walk, a hike, kayak, canoe. Go blow things up. I don't know. Whatever you do for fun. Uh-huh. But it is not a day for toil. You say, well, I enjoy some light gardening. It fills my cup. That's great. It's not the day to build six raised gardens, though. <laughs> Scrapbook. Do whatever it is you enjoy doing, but not work. Spend that time with family and love it. And then at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, Sabbath ends. And invite you or your family to once again gather around the candle that you had lit, that stayed lit the entire time. And you blow it out. And you pray and you recite a blessing. And that is symbolic at that time that you are now returning back to the world. To the noise and chaos of life. But 
this time will be a reminder that Sabbath is a rhythm. Six on, one off. And the booklet has some other pages for you to read that has some helpful hints on it. Uh, Next slide, if you could, on that. There's some helpful hints. And then even further, just some reminders for us uh, at Sabbath to keep in mind. Like, don't forget to check your heart in this thing. If you're uncertain about this and you're feeling uneasy, you're in good company. Again, I want to remind you, Sabbath goes against our worldly nature. It challenges our status quo. It makes us rethink the rat race. For many of us, you have convinced yourself that it is okay to live redlining all the time. You are defined by what you do rather than who you are. And you are caught in the trap. But this world is full of traps. And when it traps us, it puts us into slavery. And when we're in slavery, we forget. For many of you, you have forgotten. And this is our creator, our manufacturer, whispering out to us, six on, one off. Six on, one off. When I first told the staff about this, they all kind of looked at me like I'd grown a third ear on my forehead. As Jason lost his mind, as the old man finally got given it up. But you know, it's interesting. I've watched him over the last few weeks. And that confusion has turned into anticipation now. They're longing for this day. They're eagerly awaiting it like a great friend coming to visit. They're excited about it. And so if you feel skeptical today, I want you to just entertain the idea that that's okay. And I want you to wrestle with it, and I want you to read this booklet, and I want you to pray about it. Because it's my hope that that skepticism, much like the staff, will turn into anticipation. And that anticipation will lead to an excitement. And I'm hoping that you become excited too. Because who knows? In doing this, this one time with us together, maybe you'll like it. Who knows? Who knows?